This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, friends. You join me in my kitchen getting ready for another episode of Comfort Eating. I'm just making a bit of breakfast. Mushed up banana on buttered toast. But I'm going to put also a thick layer of Nutella. This is proper sustenance. I need some energy. I'm welcoming the actor Russell Tovey into my home It's always a bit nerve-wracking having these big celebrities around. I've been up in the night worrying which type of quilted toilet paper to put out for him to make an impression. I've been moving Charlie's bikes out of the living room. I'm hoping that he just takes me as I am. Russell is one of the UK's most versatile actors. He has barely aged a day since he made a big splash in Alan Bennett's The History Boys in the mid-noughties. You might know him for his funny bones in Being Human, Him and Her, and the iconic Gavin and Stacey. He's given hard-hitting performances in dramas such as Looking, Years and Years, and films like The Pass and The Good Liar. It's in the theatre where it all began for Russell, though, and over the past two decades, he's lit up the West End and Broadway with mesmerising performances in Angels in America, A View from the Bridge, and most recently in Constellations. Not only is Russell hugely respected in the acting world, he's also one half of the team behind the extremely popular podcast, Talk Art. This Essex lad is a proud art geek. So what does a man as cultured as this like to eat? I can't wait to find out. This is the breakfast of toddlers. It's perfect. Russell Tovey. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you, Grace. 
It's a total pleasure to be here. It's a total comfort, really. I think you're going to bring me some delicious things to eat and to think about. Yes. Have you brought me a delicious snack today? It's so delicious. You see, you move in some very fancy circles. <laughs> right. Do big, I? You're big in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm thinking you've probably brought me something quite highbrow. It's extremely highbrow and it's very American. Oh. Yes. Get it out then. All right. Get it out. <laughs> Let me just whack it out. So... <laughs> I have two I'm, bowls and spoons. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Rattle, rattle. Right. And I'm putting it. Are you, you going to serve it to me or should oh, I just Oh, hell put, yeah. I'll right, there you it. go. You ready? Rattle, rattle. This is a box of Kellogg's Fruit Loops. Now, you can't get them in this country unless you go to one of these American candy stores on Oxford Street, for example. Open them up. Open I'm, I'm going to have my, uh, my senses oh my um, God. enlivened. They're a very strange colour, though, I'm going to say. They're fruity, aren't they? They're, I don't, I've never seen anything that turquoise or... <laughs> you can I mean, eat. you know, it's, it's a very... <laughs> poor, please. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Look at I this. I love that. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason or rule to eating your Fruit Loops, but I think you just... I'm going to watch you over your first bite. So you've right. never had these before? I have never so you've, had... You've had so the consistency of a Cheerio is something that you're they aware of. They smell like a sweet shop, yeah. you know? They yeah. don't smell like... But you wait like... until what the milk is like at the end. It's it's like a Cheerio, but as I say, there's a lot of neon going on. <laughs> it's very fluoro, <laughs> <And> yeah. So... <laughs> oh, my God. What? You love it. You love it, don't you? You love it, Grace. They're not, that's not cereal. <laughs> I can see why they're not... You can't have them in this country. They're illegal. Let me try it. Mm. I feel I'd like a child again. So I rarely get these because to buy them is about £25 a box. This came into my life when I was about seven years old and I went on a family holiday to Disneyland. And when I discovered this in the breakfast buffet, it changed my life. Had you heard of them before? Never. And then I was so shocked that they existed and I was so obsessed with them that I had them every meal. They, my mum and dad would ask <laughs> them if they had Fruit Loops they could bring out for me. And when I got home to the UK, I wrote to Kellogg's, age seven. I said, dear Mr heart. Kellogg's, why do you not stock Fruit Loops in the UK? I think it's really important that you stock them. Did you write back? I, I think they wrote back and I can't remember what they said, but I think it's something along the lines of, we're not allowed to stock them because the sugar levels are too high. <laughs> To pass any sort of for like kids to be consuming on a daily basis, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. And they never have. This takes you back to being a little boy, mm. and you're on holiday, mm. and you're in America for the first time. Mm -mm -mm. And your eyes are just opened to how amazing America is. Yeah, I wanted to be American. Yeah. When I was a kid, I, I had dreams. I mean, I watched movies like on loop, but I had dreams that I was a goonie. Honey, I shrunk the kids. And this makes me think of like Rick, Rick Moranis and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, Hook, Stand By Me. And I used to have dreams that Macaulay Culkin was my best friend. And I would take him to junior school with me and people would be like, how do you know Macaulay Culkin? I said, well, we're just, we're just best mates, aren't we? That's just what it is. What it is. I want, and I used to talk with an American accent, so I used to go, when Lakeside Shopping Centre first opened in Essex, I remember I went up to one of the girls there and I went, 
excuse me, can you tell me where the restroom is? And she was like, what? I said, the restroom? She's like, what do you mean, a toilet? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> just like, it's over there. And she's like, what are you doing, you little weirdo? <laughs> That's me. But I just wanted to be like a runaway, goonie like treasure hunter, trying to find one-eyed Willie. Oh. And... Uh... <laughs> um, I wanted to be a pop star when I was little. So I spent my eighth birthday. I had all the girls from Harold Street round and we danced uh, to the Human League and Blondie in the living room. Mm-hmm. What did you do for your birthday? Well, if we, if we wasn't going around the wimpy and visiting the kitchens, which is what we all did, and that was the biggest treat, or you go Burger King and visit the kitchens. The kitchens. You get taken oh, around God, the kitchen. You get taken around the kitchens by Mr. Wimpy, oh and all the kids are going to the kitchen. They'll be like, "This is where we make the burgers. This is where we cut the lettuce." My brain has just flipped to that. Yeah. Was what people used to do for yeah. their birthdays. Can you, oh, now, can you imagine a kid going, "I want to go around the kitchens of Burger King." Everyone <laughs> be like, "What?" And they wouldn't let you back there. They'd be like, "You ain't coming back here." But then it was that was like a big treat. It's like, wow, we can see like behind, we can see the Wizard of Oz. Do you know what I mean? We're going to meet Oz. So I did read that on one birthday, I think it was your eighth, yes. that um, your parents took you to a rocks and mineral yeah. convention. So I was very eccentric <laughs> as a kid, which you can guess. And I was obsessed with everything. And for my eighth birthday, you're right, I went to the annual Rock and Mineral Society convention, which was in Haroldwood in like a community centre and I sat there and it was me and my parents and then a lot of very old grey people who were dusty where they'd been chipping away, <laughs> chipping away at like mountainsides up and down like Latin America and there's me, eight, just obsessed. But how did you get obsessed to the point that you even knew that existed and how, I, I mean, used to you get newsletters eight. sent to you and this is all pre-internet and yeah. I used to read everything and I think there's something come up and I went, I think in a local newspaper, my mum was obviously going, my son likes rocks and minerals and fossils. Yeah. Uh, you know, A-gates and geodes. I used to go to these, in Basildon, there used to be on the top floor, there used to be a sh- shop that had like loads of rocks and minerals you could buy. And I was obsessed. My mum would take me there like every other Saturday and I'd literally be in the shop just buying like a little bit of A-gate, a little bit of tiger's eye, a little bit of amethyst. And then I'd like display them all at home. <laughs> Slices of geode. Aww. Yes. And so I went to this convention and I absolutely loved it loved it and they must have just thought what the hell is this but they like the testament to my parents is that they were like whatever you're into and I think yeah. I've, what I've learned from them is to never apologise for enthusiasm Yeah. and they've always been like what do you want to do me and my brother like, well we'd go and do it and my mum's always been like yeah well, it's, we'll make it happen what do you want to do and that's an amazing gift that you can give any as any parent to any child is just to go what do you want and never make them apologise for being a geek or a nerd, mm. like, feed that, you know? Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I think, yeah, I've been a nerd and a geek. And for during my junior school years, I was definitely embracing it because I don't think I was getting shamed at any point. Then as soon as you go to senior school, yeah. I think I then, I felt embarrassed of my own excitement about certain things. I would keep it to myself. I wouldn't tell anyone. So were your parents into rocks? Were no. they into it? They weren't into no, it. No, no, I'm an anomaly. And my brother's complete opposite. I'm someone that needs stuff around me, wants to know everything about everything, needed to move to London, to, had to leave Essex. 
I've got loads of art. I'm, I'm obsessed with things. I get obsessed with things and I need to know everything and have everything. My brother is completely like minimal. Let's talk about the Tovey family. Yeah. Um, the Tovey family lived in Romford. Yeah. Your mum and dad had a coach business. Yeah. Can you drive a coach? No, I, I didn't ever do the test because I knew that as much as they said it wouldn't happen, I would be getting calls at six in the morning because something's broke down in the M25. And they're like, you're it's part of the family, family business rush. You've got to get up, you've got to drive this coach. And I'd be like, what? I've got an audition in the morning. <laughs> They'd be like, no, you've got to drive this broke down coach. So I just like said, no, I'm not going to do that. So running a coach company is one of those things that kind of never stops. Mm. There's always people ringing, there's always emergencies. Mm. So what was the food like that was being served in it, your house? It was uh, fuel. It was basically just like... It would turn up and my mum was obviously obliged to cook dinner and it would be like, what's this? And her response would be, just eat it. (laughs) What? Just eat it. Okay. (laughs) So you'd eat it. And if there was something that as a family we responded to and went, oh, that's nice. She'd be like, okay. And we'd have the same meal probably every night for about (laughs) a few months. You know, if I I was like, oh, mum, I like this sandwich at school, I would have that sandwich in my lunchbox every day for, until the point I went, enough, 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 enough jam sandwiches. I have to have something else in my mouth. Um, give me an example of something that got served to you at tea time <clears throat> that you've maybe have 20 or 30 uh, times in a row and you don't be, ever want to eat again. It would be, well, I'm a veggie now, but it was a lamb and rice kind of tomato-based, like stock stewy thing. Kind of a tagine? Tagine. It would be a tagine, but I don't think it was cooked in a tagine. Yeah. I think it was boiled. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the first few times we had it, I was like, this is great. Well done. And then maybe, you know, every now and then there'd be a courgette thrown in as well. But I guess probably six months into that, I was like, this, is, this has got to stop. And then at a young age, like, this isn't acceptable. So your brother isn't like a kind of thespian type, like, no, he, you was know, a, he was a dancer when we were kids. He did a dance video with Donna Diabelius and her dance troupe, which was in Hornchurch in Essex. And while he was doing dance lessons, I was doing gymnastics, f- flip-flopping around everywhere, yeah. trying to do my best. And You're I wasn't... probably doing a double flick-flack somersault into a crab, because that was always... <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of hopping, I think, and, and a lot of kind of like beveling. Um, but then, we had, then there was a guy there who they said, oh, there's a celebrity here who's doing photos of everyone. And I and it was an actor called Desmond Askew, and he was in Grange Hill. And I, I remember going like, you're an actor? He's like, yeah. I said, are you from Essex? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, it blew my mind that, wow, someone from around here, he was a local to Hornchurch, was on TV. That didn't make sense to me. So I said to my mum, I want to I wanna be an actor, mum, in that moment. And she said to me, how would you get on TV then? He went, well, I go Sylvia Young's. She was like, what's Sylvia Young's? He said, it's a stage school. Oh, right. Okay, all right. So no, my mum being amazing was like, all right, well, we're going, you can go and meet people at Sylvia Young's. So I went to Sylvia Young's in Marleybone in London, met the people at Sylvia Young's and they were like, the first thing they said to me was like, do you want to be here or do your parents want you to be here? And I went, I want to be here. And they were like, great. And then it was all like going through and then my dad was like, absolutely not. I'm not, you're not going to do that because you might not get an education and that worries me. And you might be a great dancer and singer, but there's no concept of, anybody achieving that. Do you know what I mean? You don't know that that's possible. So yeah, I yeah. went to normal state school and I went drama club 
every night of the week, all weekends. And then when I was old enough, I used to go up by train by myself with my Sony Ericsson mobile phone when I was 15. I'd text my mum when I got to Marleybone, text her when I was leaving Marleybone, when I got to Liverpool Street Station. And I would go to Sylvia Young's on my own. So when you went to secondary school the rest of the week, how did you fit in there then if you were this quite... I had a really tough first couple of years, like, I think I was pretty screwed up from it because I, where we went to school, my parents sent me to a school outside of our catchment area because the schools that were on offer where we were, they didn't think were good enough for me and my brother. So my brother was... I did exactly the same. Three years above me, but we didn't get on growing up. We love each other now, he's amazing, but we didn't get on growing up, complete chalk and cheese. And all my friends from junior school went other schools in nearby and I was on my own with my brother and me who didn't really talk to each other. And within two weeks, I got this kid's TV show called Mud. And I was off for three months doing this TV show. Amazing. Like, lived the dream. Like, like, incredible. Russell Brand was in it when he was 19. And I remember him talking to me about girls and being like, what? When I was 11. <laughs> and I came back three months in and everyone had formed their friendship groups. Yeah. Everyone had made their mates. And that age, it was like, they'd all knew each other anyway from other schools. And suddenly I was like this new kid. And I was, st- I was a geek. You know, from junior school, that all my geekiness had been celebrated and all the teachers had been like, yeah, great. And then suddenly it was like, what are you doing? You don't play football? No. Oh, right. What are you then? Mm. And then the TV show came out and everyone was a bit like, instead of people being like, I want to be friends with him, they were all a bit weirded out by it. Yeah. And I had my drama club. That's, that's where I was free, was outside of school. I would go and do my drama lessons. That's where I was able to be who I was. That's where I was seen. But when I was going to school, I just sort of kept my head down and it was lonely. I was very lonely in the first couple of years. And then when I started, we went away on this school trip. I was dreading it, but this is compulsory. And I started just being funny, just being myself, saying stupid things. And suddenly people are like, oh, you're quite funny. You're all right. And then I started being naughty. And as soon as I was naughty, people are like, oh, respect. Were you playing a part? Yeah. I didn't know who the fuck I was when I left senior school. I think a lot of kids need to go and have a bit of counselling when they leave senior school to be like, who are you exactly? Because, you know, I was gay, so I was hiding the fact I was gay. I was a geek, but I was completely felt ashamed of being a geek. Um, I didn't have many friends for the first couple of years, and I, I got friendships. What was your persona at school then? Who who were you? You were quite a, like, a lad? A laddish lad? Trying to be, with, yeah, yeah, but my with... voice didn't break till late, so I spoke with a deep voice when it hadn't even broken. Uh I would get kicked out of classes for being naughty and then I'd be outside the class just going, I was quite enjoying that lesson. But I did it because that's what you did to survive, I guess, or just to fit in. I think my my year at school was pretty um, rough. I think mm. the boys in my year weren't, I didn't feel like they were nice. Yeah. You know, they weren't nice. And the year below were lovely. And I was friends with loads of the year below and I'd hang out with the year below. But then that was like, then, then that was like, oh, you're hanging out with the year below. You're obviously a, a geek. You're a weirdo. Why? And it's, I mean, it's, there were so many like rhymes and reasons and rules when you're at school of what you're to conform, yeah. you know, which is inspiring now because you see so many kids that aren't, don't have to conform. Yeah. But being in Essex, going to a state school and being a bit, being gay and trying to hide that, I didn't even know I was. I remember being in uh, RE and the teacher, and this is section 28 when they can't even talk about being gay. I remember the yeah. teacher going, yeah. you know, one in 10 of you might be gay. Someone in this class might be gay. And I was writing and I looked up and everybody was looking at me. Oh. And I went, what? And then they all started laughing. I remember thinking, do they think I'm gay? And I remember looking up the word homo in a book and it said same. And I took comfort from that because I thought, oh, it means I'm the same as everyone else. I get quite emotional talking about that. How did we get to that? Yeah. So that was like, 
Yeah. It was t- it's tough, you know. Mm. But then drama was my saviour. When you're having those really hard days at school, was the lunch hour like a nice thing to go to? Was it like a like the lunch hall going and getting food? Was that I always have this theory about difficult schools like me and you went to <laughs> that the that the lunch hall was at least somewhere where you could go and get some stodge and it was like a nice part of the day. Oh, the dinner ladies loved me. I was dinner lady favourite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was dinner lady favourite. But I used to eat... I I was... I remember I was like odd, you know. I I, Once I ordered a whole bowl of Brussels sprouts. I was was really into like healthy food and I had a bowl of Brussels sprouts and all the dinner ladies were like... I, like, like light was shining out of my whole body like I was the saviour for, all, for all kids eating Christmas like, food everywhere. But I, I remember I sat in my bowl on my own with my Brussels sprouts in my first year and they're all being like, do you want some more Brussels sprouts? And I was like, probably not that many more, but sure. <laughs> right, talk me through this. The sprouts, mm. did you have anything with them? No. You didn't have some gravy? I'd have had gravy on them. No. It felt like Christmas Day then. No, I think it was just like a bowl of warm... Sprouts that have been boiled. Did I think. you put a bit of salt on them? No, I don't think I seasoned them. I don't think there was that option at school to have like condiments. You see, I would have defended you to the hilt all the way through this <laughs> that, that to, everyone had to leave you alone and you weren't strange until the moment. <laughs> and then you went, Oh, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, you, yeah, you're fair game. He's fair game. Do what you got to do. In 1997, you left school to study performing arts at Barking College. Yeah. So how do your lunchtime eating habits progress at this point from your plate of Brussels sprouts? Well, so Barking College uh, was situated on Rush Green Road where my nan lived. Mm. Rest in peace again. She's looking after me from heaven now. She What's lived, she called? She was called Nanny. Nanny. But um, Kit. Her name Kit. was Catherine, but she was called Kit. Kit. And... She used to make me a roast dinner yeah. nearly every lunchtime. Oh, so I'd alternate between the canteen at college or I'd go to their nanny's house and I would take like friends from college with me uh, and we'd all sit down and she'd make us roast dinner. We'd have roast chicken, but it was everything that was served on. So it was the glass, it was a pressed glass yeah. and she'd make you orange squash and then you'd have to certain knives and forks and you'd have to plate and then everything would come up and it would be chicken and her roast potatoes, which she boiled first and then she roasted. They were the best roast potatoes you've ever had. If anyone ever says to me, what is your desert island disc? You're about to go and be like, you know, have your head cut off. What's your last meal? Mm. I'd be like, it's Nanny's roast dinner. Yeah. But I don't even eat meat now, but I would eat it just yeah. because Nanny made it. Was there gravy there? Yeah, of course it was gravy. Of course. But I mean, you know, having a roast dinner every day... <laughs> for a year, you know, before they kicked me off the course was, you know, quite an overload of fatty stuff. But when my nan passed, my dad said to me, what do you want from nanny's house? And I said, I want a salt and pepper pots. She had these salt and pepper pots, which I think you could have just got from Woolworths. Metal kind of stainless steel salt and pepper pots. And I still got them. And they were like, that that to me signified my nan. Yeah. So I took them. I love that idea of a every morning, like, getting the roast on. Yeah, for her grandson, who she loved. And we'd sit there and watch, like, Countdown or something, and then I'd be like, I've got to go back to college, and then every now and then I'd have a nap on the couch after, you know, the, the potatoes. I'd have, like, free, free helpings of roast potatoes and go back and do, like, a, a jazz jazz club class. Um, yeah. 
That's just happiness, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like it was, a nap was, after a roast dinner is the greatest thing. The best. Yeah. Did your nan see you acting in things? She came to see me, and she shouldn't have seen it really. On the last thing she saw on stage, I was at a play at the Royal Court Theatre upstairs, an experimental theatre, new writing in Sloane Street, in, in Sloane Square, and it was a play called Plasticine, and. It was there was two floors and it was all scaffolding and the audience would be up above looking down and so it'd be very immersive and we'd be running yeah. through the audience stuff and there was this one scene where I could hear my nan laughing she had a very distinctive laugh and if there was a swear word she'd laugh I don't think she really knew what was going on but it was about like the Urals in Russia it was really dark play and then there's this one point where I'm I'm in the park with this prostitute and I'm trying to have sex with her and then she it doesn't work so she says you can do me up the bum. So I go to do that, and that doesn't work. So I masturbate onto her back. <laughs> so this scene's happening, and my nan laughing, has and the, where just... my nan had positioned herself to watch the oh, show was no. the most perfect vantage point, looking down. So she's watching her grandson, who she makes roast dinner for every day, masturbating onto uh, a prostitute's back. Do you masturbate till you come? Yeah, on oh, her, and I Lord. wipe it on her back. Oh. I wipe it on her back, and uh, and my nan. I didn't hear my nan laugh after that, and then I saw her in the bar, Rockwell, downstairs afterwards. She was very quiet with me, and I think she. I think she just couldn't cope. Really, I think it was just like that's what is this? What 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 have I just seen? It wasn't. I think if I was in a panto or I'd have done something, you know, she'd have got it. It was. It wasn't the right show to bring her along to at all, but she was proud. I think this is the first time in Comfort Eating mm. where I've been absolutely stumped. <laughs> Me to too. To I, say was, I remember I was going through, I was thinking like, Nanny's, Nanny's up there and here I am. Nanny's up there and this is what I'm doing. Oh, Did no. you pull back a bit in your kind of no, I was miming of the ranking? I mean, I probably got there quicker, but it, I was a professional. I mean, I'm, I was a, a, an ambitious actor. So I had to commit. I had my nan there and I knew that was there, but the, telling the story was more important in that moment, I guess. Moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2002, uh, you started a stint at the National Theatre. Mm. So how were your cooking skills coming along now? You're a young man now. Can Could you cook? Eggs. Egg-based. I have eggs every day. That's something. I know you said bananas every day, but now I've sort of gone off bananas, which has scared me a bit because they were my friend. <laughs> uh, but they're not anymore, weirdly. I eat banana now and I'm like, I'm not enjoying this as much. So what did you do with the eggs? Omelets or scrambled. How do you scramble an egg? You used to in the microwave and then oh. discover, but it was so quick and you'd put it in one of them Pyrex jugs. Did it never explode and like no, burn your mouth? No, what I really enjoyed about it is it would sort of puff up and it would, there'd be liquid consistency, but then you'd mix it in with a metal fork and then it would all sort of become scrambled egg. I found it quite miraculous, to be honest, <laughs> that that actually, that it was quite scientific, but you would put it in a Pyrex jug, you put the eggs in, a bit of butter. Yeah. And then you put, a, put it on for a minute and a half and suddenly you've got scrambled eggs. So, and then I discovered that you do it for saucepan and then it's a lot nicer. Eggs, bananas, just yellow things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit beige. <laughs> yellow and beige. Yes, I mean... Food growing up was something you're like, this just is going to be something that you have to do to live. 
Like, you know what I mean? It's like you you eat, you sleep. There isn't like, there wasn't pleasure taken in it. So as I've got older and doing what I do and you get taken to fancier places, I had to learn to appreciate food because things would turn up and it'd be gone in about a minute. People are like, slow down, chill out, enjoy it. And I'd be like, what, what, what enjoy what? I just, we just eat it, don't you? And then you get rid of it in the morning. Yeah. I don't understand. This is just yeah. like, they're like, that's very existential. You know, you have to really enjoy food in the process. I was like, all right, come on in. In 2004, you were offered the role of Rudge in Alan Bennett's play, The History Boys. So this is a massive break for you. It went on to be a major film released in 2006. And it's something that I'm sure people always kind of refer to. But for you, how does it feel when you look back? Like, what's your main emotion about it all? I feel so privileged is the main emotion. I didn't, none of us realised at the time what it was. I even, when I got offered this play, I said, I'm not going to do it at my age when you're doing this play. I'd been at the National Theatre for two years before that doing plays. I'd f- madly fallen in love with someone and we had this kind of affair. He was in a relationship. It was all very complicated. I had really bad skin. I was doing a show every night and then doing stuff down the studio and wearing makeup and I, no one really taught me how to take it off properly. I didn't have proper products. And I was and I was stressed, and when I got stressed, my skin yeah. flared up, and it was it affected me properly. And as an actor, you sit in front of these mirrors with all the lights around them, and you're like, I, I can't. And they'd be painting them on, like covering them up one by one. And I just remember feeling like this is awful. How do I get over this? But you know, I was just like, that's it's genetics. It just is is what it is. But I remember that feeling I put into playing Rudge. Then is that Rudge's character is someone that isn't as articulate and doesn't really communicate with as much clarity as the other boys in the show. So I said, well, I'm going to just, I feel like shit, and I'm going to reserve myself, like remove myself sort of from the from the scenes. And it, I put that into Rudge, and suddenly Rudge became this kind of like distant character from all the other boys. He's one of the boys, but they're all like the smart ones, and he's the sporty one. And it just worked. It did something, and I was like, this is kind of a breakthrough, that suddenly I'm able to channel my own shit my own autobiography and anxieties into this character and give him a different quality. And it became like people loved Rudge. And I was like, that was a really good, amazing thing to know. Because I think if I hadn't had spots and I'd got that part, I would have played him completely different. So have you watched that film since? I mean, do you... Not since, so the premiere... Did you watch it a lot of the time when it first came out? No, no, no. At the beginning of the pandemic, my boyfriend went, let's watch History Boys. I was like, 
oh yeah, all right. And I thought, well, it's a bit long. It's a bit boring. I'm not sure, Steve. I don't know what it's going to be like. We sat down within like 10 minutes. I was crying my eyes out. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I said, it's everything. It's like nostalgia. I remember all these moments. But suddenly I understand this play. Suddenly I understand what these characters are saying. I've had my heart broken. I, I, I know what longing is. I know what loneliness is now. I know what all these feelings are. And when I was like 14, 15, 16 years ago when we tackled this play, I didn't know what them feelings were. You play them, you pretend them, but suddenly it's like, fuck, I know, I know what this is. I know what that line means now. Ow. And the film is brilliant. I was like, this is a really good film. But at the time, it just wasn't for me. You spoke about having a new appreciation for the History Boys as an adult. And I know you are now a big lover of art. Is that also something you needed to be older to appreciate? I don't know. I think the more I've gone into it, the more it's opened itself up to me, the more it's revealed itself to me, and the more it, I'm, I'm involved. And then meeting my, one of my best mates, Rob, who I do my podcast talk art with, when we connected at a Tracy Emin retrospective in 2008... And we geeked off about Tracy M in drawing titles. And that sort of, when meeting him, changed my life. And then when we started the podcast, that is one of the proudest things I've ever achieved. I get excited when I walk into a gallery as much as I do when I do a show on stage or a TV show's coming out. I get as excited. I get palpitations. I get endorphin rushes. I get, if if an artist I love says you want to come to do a studio visit, it's like meeting Tom Hanks. This feels like proper coming from an authentic place of love. And it's happened. It's worked. That's the most excited, though, that I've seen you talking about anything since you got here. Really? Not yeah. even talking about doing that scene in the playroom when I'm I mean, that... That's... <laughs> what a fruit loop, surely. <laughs> no, but it is. Yeah. When you're talking about all those people that you're turning on to art yeah. or... Because, you know, I was going to say, you know, I, I always feel that with art... I like what I see and I appreciate it and I know how it makes me feel, but there's a massive gap in my knowledge when it comes to art and I find that scene slightly alien. So, you know, I just didn't have an access you know why that to is? it. Because really. we're not, because all art is is storytelling. So when we grow up, we understand and we understand how to critique movies, songs, books. I like this movie. I like that actor. I like the score. I like this musician. I like that song. I didn't like that album. That one's good. I love this book. That writer's really good because I like the way they do dialogue. Let's read the rest of the stuff. But we're not brought up with art to look at art and critique it. We're told that art is this other thing. It's kind of like lofty. It's for the special few. If you don't get it, then you're sort of shut out. But all that is is that you just have to lean into it and it's about being told how to see. So you can stand in front of something and go, I don't get it. And someone will be like, well, this artist was going through this experience or they were sad or they were happy and they put this colour up there and that references their life because down here is this and that. And you suddenly go, oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I get that. Somebody tells you how to see it and then you see it and it opens it up. Through this side of your passion... You've become friends with lots of serious and respected artists. So what have you noticed about what they eat? Do they eat beautiful things? <laughs> do they, or do they, you know, does does Hockney, does he like a Pop-Tart, for oh, example? Oh, I'd love to. I mean, Hockney likes uh, a cigarette. Hockney, Hockney smokes <laughs> cigarettes in the Tate. He'll walk around like 
you know, palaces with a fag on the go and he's like, I don't care. And people are like, oh, okay, David. I know Gilbert and George have a fry up every day, don't they? They have a fry up every day and they go to the same restaurant, (laughs) the same Turkish restaurant every single night and they have the same seats. They could have been one of your family, actually. They could have been literally, they would have fit in absolutely fine at your mother's. 100%, they'd have been like, this is great, same meal. It's like my dogs, (laughs) I have three dogs and they have the same meal three times a day, the same kibble. And every single time they're like, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm like, it's the same meal, mate. You've had that for the last eight years. Three times a day, but you're still like, I can't believe it. I can't believe I get to eat this. Have you ever eaten any kind of food with any of these artists? You've never sat down at a McDonald's with any of them? I've eaten with Tracy lots. We, we've eaten lots. One of the best things we did was we was in New York and she got this, I think, I think she went to what's the Italy massive lump of parmesan cheese and i think we just drank wine and hunked just, hunked chopped hunks just, off and just like just chewed our way through like a, like a ton of parmesan it was heaven well you'd have loved that because it was yellow yellow exactly you're right i didn't even know that but i'm drawn to yellow maybe it's just because of the food it's become very clear that food is more about the eating than the cooking for you so if you ask everyone around to your house, what are they getting to eat? Having I mean, do you cook? Do you do dinner parties? Steve cooks. My partner loves cooking, so he has certain dishes he's really good at. He, he went to Scotland once to do a pie making course, so he makes like puff pastry, chicken pies, vegetable pies. Yeah. They're amazing. Like he does stuff with the puff pastry where he put like he write a word on it, like slag or something, and yeah. then we then we get like a pie turn up. Uh, so he and he takes absolute pride in that, and everyone's always like, "Oh, well done!" These like folks. Um, for me, I'd be like, "Let's just get what do you want on takeaway." Yeah. What are you into? Let's just get a massive takeaway. And if we have parties, I would just get a stack of pizzas, turn up at one point, and then everyone's like, "Oh, great pizza!" Takeaway still feels like a treat, doesn't it? Yes. Like when you're a kid and you'll go like, can we get a takeaway tonight? Dad would be like, we're going to go and get a Chinese. And he'd call ahead and oh he'd go God. and sit in there and wait for it. And it would take forever. And then it'd turn up yeah. and you'd get home and you'd be like, this is, we are the luckiest people in the world. We are the luckiest <laughs> few. And it's like, if I get a takeaway now and I get a lot, I'm always like, this is just, what a luxury. So if you two are at home together, so it's just a Wednesday night, you're not having a takeaway. What would you have? Well, Steve, for a while, was getting these boxes delivered with food in because he was trying to, you know, promote eat, not getting takeaway every night and both of us cooking. So he would cook and I, I, I would alternate. Meal his, kits. Meal kits. And he's only just stopped ordering them because they would all just sit in their brown paper bags in the fridge <laughs> and they would chuck them out and then a new box would arrive because everything ended up just tasting, because it's all veggie stuff, like spicy lentil beans, whatever it was. Even if it didn't have spice and lentil or beans in it. Yeah. I'd be like, this just tastes like fucking spicy beans again. I'd be like, please stop ordering them. Stop. It's the quiet tyranny stop. of them, though, isn't it? They just keep coming. Keep coming. And then you feel as if you can't have anything that's nice to eat. No. Because you don't want to waste no. this food. And you're just like, I don't, I, don't want the, I don't want this box to ever arrive at my front door <laughs> ever, ever again. Please stop it. Ooh. And it would arrive and I'd be like, there's a fucking... Do you not get... He said, I forgot to cancel. There's a box of food right well I, I put it in the fridge I'm not we're not gonna that's not gonna get eaten you know that we, we will eat you we will eat you we, we, you cook something you cook for once then alright fine yeah. no this is get a takeaway yeah. and it'd be in the fridge and you're like let's get a takeaway that is that's a real relationship oh god nothing annoys me more than my bloke 
I hope you don't do this, standing at the fridge, looking at the ingredients, just going again and again, what are we having? What are we having? And you're like, just make the make the ingredients into something. Just cook them individually and put them on a plate and that'd be good enough for me. <laughs> I don't, well, when don't... we open our fridge, it's just brown paper bags. You can't even see what the ingredients <laughs> are. So it's all like sheets of like menu papers and we sort of flick through and I'd be like, that's beans, that's spicy, that's got fucking, that's just fucking lentils. I'm not going to eat lentils again. And he's like, well, well what else are we going to eat then? Let's just get the fucking app up. Come on, what are we going to get? Let's get a nice Indian. <laughs> Let's... No no bread. All right, fine. Do you go out to eat a lot as a couple? Yeah, but again, I think we're a bit Gilbert and Georgie is that we end up just going to the same places. Just get mm. pub grub. We was in Soho the other day, like food heaven. And he went, I want to get a pie in the pub. I went, what? Pie in the pub of Charing Cross Road and Old Compton Street. It's literally like a Weatherspoons. No disrespect to Weatherspoons, yeah. but I was like, we're in Soho. <laughs> you want to go to the pub and have a pie? <laughs> But we are Gilbert and George in the fact that we would just go down the local pub and we'd order the, the meal because it's limited. The menu hasn't changed for three years. It's always fine, below fine, but we always eat it all. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Tip. And I think that's just the way. It feels like you and Steve... I've been together for such a long time. You're like a, a like a real kind of a real unit. Mm. I know that you you did split up for a small period of time. Mm. When that was all going on, were there foods or restaurants that you were just like avoiding at that time that reminded you of him? Yeah, definitely. And we'd been. I went back to New York to do a workshop for a play that I was actually doing that got stopped during the pandemic. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go back. And I hadn't seen him for ages. I'm going to go back to New York and I'm going to go to these restaurants we went to and I'm going to like sage them. I'm going to have them back for me because everything was very linked in. And it was a painful breakup. And then when I was getting on the plane, I had a tap on the shoulder and he was on exactly the same flight going to New York to hang out with friends there at the exact same time. And I remember just being like, what? What the f- fuck? This is this didn't make sense at all, and it felt like that's if you wrote that in a movie, people would be like, no. And we got there, and I went out that night with my friends, and we went to Barracuda Bar, which is this really fun kind of divey drag bar. My friend got up to go to the toilet, she came back, she went, Steve's here, and I was like, you can't write this shit. This is the universe, you know, nanny nanny Tovey up on a cloud, going, you know what? This is as painful as this is. There's a reason. This is that's what happening. So. The restaurants that I wanted to claim back, I couldn't. But now Hang I'm on, like... sorry, he was on the plane. Exactly the same flight, on exactly the same day, time, flight. And I was sat in front of him and he said that during the flight, all he could see was like my ear poking out from like 10 seats in front. Horrible, horrible isn't it? Like, But now, you know, we're back together, so thank God. But it was tough, but it was the best thing that ever happened. You know, a lot of people who have like breakups and get back together and they're still together... They always say that was a really good, painful experience at the time, but really good to have got back to that. Also as well, you know, being, doing stuff publicly, like we got engaged and then I put it on my private Facebook and then somehow it ended up being everywhere in the Daily Mail and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then there was that sort of interest in it. And then when we broke up, it was then like everywhere. Oh, and it was just oh. like, this is really weird concept of reality so this year 
You're turning 40. Yeah. November. How do you feel about that? I feel good, actually. I feel like... I, I, I assume that when you get to this age, I, w- I assumed that you would, you would start thinking, have I achieved? Am I still achieving? What is there yet to achieve? And I feel like I've done all right. I'm good. I'm proud of what I've achieved. And now there's this, all these new avenues opening up. Like I'm writing. I've just had something commissioned. I'm co-writing with someone. Um, all the tall cart stuff is just like this spiralling and, and doing incredible things. Acting's going brilliantly. I've got a great relationship. You know, people listening to this might be like, fuck off. But I, I, things are like <laughs> yeah. three beautiful dogs, great friends, great family. Things are good. And I'm like, it's good to turn 40. I feel like happy about that. Do you think that you can do anything for your 40th birthday that'll top the uh, the Rock and Fossil conference that you went to? Kitchens. No, you... I don't see. I don't think. I don't think I can. I think you know, if you... they threw a surprise party and it was a Rock and Mineral Society convention with a Mr. Wimpy thrown in, holding the rocks in his big kind of like <laughs> plastic hands, I'd be like, this is everything. So, if you were organising your birthday party for yourself. Mm. You can have the food the absolutely that mm. you want. You don't care about anybody else. What is on the menu for this party? <laughs> Was it a sit-down dinner or is it like... You, do you know? Do you know what I used to love? I used to love the harvester. You'd go up yeah. and get your salad, but it'd just be a bowl of bacon bits with a bit of blue, blue cheese dressing, tiny bit of lettuce. That would be the harvester I used to love. I used to love a Toby Carvery. There's yeah. nothing better oh, than the Toby Carvery. I don't eat meat now, but that queuing up, getting your turkey, seeing them like slice it off, and you could go and help yourself to the potatoes. Unlimited gravy. You could help yourself to the you potatoes. You could help yourself to the roasties what? and the parsnips and the carrots and the peas. You can help yourself to the potatoes. That, that that blew my mind. Yeah. I can I can have as many of these as I want. Yeah. Yeah. You can love. And there was a condiment station, yeah. like unlimited mint sauce. Yeah, for your lamb, right? It, what that Toby Carveries are? Three ninety nine. Is it? And it's that's it was, obviously organic. It it's all organic, obviously. It's <laughs> 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 the best meats. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that it's funny um, seeing snippets of your life being served up in the papers. Mm. So will you mind when you read that for your 40th birthday that you and your friends are all going to the Toby? <laughs> the Toby Carveries. I love Toby it. Carver. I love it. <laughs> I'd love it as long as there's someone from Drag Race there doing something. I would absolutely, they're serving me. Absolutely love it. Love it. Russell Tovey. <laughs> it's been a hell of a journey. <laughs> You've got a lot out of me. Yeah. Thank you All for comfort eating with me. Yeah, I, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> I've loved it. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Emma Roberts. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. Theme music was composed by Axel Cacoutier and the episode was mixed by Sammy L. Anani. If you enjoy Comfort Eating, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.